In our previous show, we talked about the neuroscience of romantic love. Today, we're going to address the behavioral side of things to help you rekindle the passion in your marriage. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to OYF.support. Once again, that website is OYF.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have an exciting episode for you this week. This is episode number 146, and today we're going to be talking about the behavior side of dating your spouse. What makes dating so awesome? How do men and women come at it differently? And how can a married couple make this come alive in their marriage again? Hey there. Before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed the neuroscience of dating. Which... I might add, mm-hmm. was our highest week of downloads yet, despite the fact that you were teasing me about the nerdiness of the episode. Oh, no, honey. It was enticing. And by the way, I think they were downloading like so our, that's the point. our previous episodes. No, that's the point. Just saying. Nerds are enticing. I know that's a new piece of information for you. <laughs> so that episode, that episode. You married one, by the way. Oh, I know. I was just thinking how enticing. That's good. Yeah. I know she's kind of going red in the face. (laughs) So anyways, that episode, the enticing neuroscience of dating episode is a companion to this one, actually. So it's worth going back and checking out too. Is it? Because it was enticing. Mm -hmm. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. Any upcoming arguments from us. (laughs) If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice that works, even with regards to dating your spouse. But most of all, we offer hope. Hope that they can argue too. No, hope that they can rekindle (laughs) the passion in their marriage. Okay, let's do this. Even for men with cheeky wives. That's just a random thought. I don't know where that came from. So let's start here, Verlinda. What makes dating and the early stages of love so enjoyable? I have no idea. As opposed to right now. (laughs) (laughs) So last time we talked about our brains and how there are pleasure and reward systems built right into them. And you'll recall that we talked about romantic love. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you recall all this in great depth. Mm -hmm, Because it was enticing. Okay, that's enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, romantic love. Which is out front during the courtship or the dating phase of a relationship. That's kind of the... the, First 12 to 18 months. That's the volcanic heat. And then partner attachment, which is the steady committed love. That's the dormant volcano. Eh, kind of mildly active. (laughs) Let's go for that. The lava. And that's kind of the steady committed love of lasting marriages. And both of these are good things. Romantic Mm -hmm. love is linked to systems in the brain which reward you with strong feelings of pleasure whenever you think about or spend time with your spouse. Mm -hmm. And typically, this phase of love lasts about 12 to 18 months, but it can last an entire lifetime. And we talked about how to extend that last time to get it to take some of the features of those 12 to 18 month period at the start and bring that forward into the lifetime of your marriage. Yeah, because it doesn't have to get boring. No. No, it can be enticing. So today... We're kind of going away from the brain and reward systems and all that stuff. Yes, I noticed that enticing. <laughs> and I'm, but I'm trying to be focused right now. Oh, good job. Thank you. And, uh, and we're going to talk about like this, more of the psychology, the soft side. Okay. What are you frowning at me for? Is that not enticing? No, uh, very, very. That's good. 
Why don't you just keep going? So let's talk about self-expansion theory, which speaks to the situation. So that's much more passionate. I look, it's not my fault if researchers put very sterile labels on these amazing things. Okay. My job is to try to make them enticing. <laughs> okay. So romantic love is a period of rapid self-expansion by including the beloved in your sense of self. So let me break that down a little bit. During the er very early stages of the relationship, you learn a lot about your beloved, your new beloved. Mm -hmm. And you get to grow as a person and experience new things because they do things that you don't do usually. And you're integrating aspects of your, I put the word spouse here, but you're probably your boyfriend or girlfriend at that stage into your own life, right? So yeah. as you're learning new things about them and things that, things that they like and they like to do, you're bringing this stuff into your world, this person, right? Right. Yeah. And this is self-expansion. Okay. That's what this part is about. So the rate at which you do all this sort of integrating of this other person declines after the initial period of the relationship, which makes sense. You start to run out of new things to learn about your spouse. Yeah. Because you're really, in many cases, you're starting with a clean slate, right? So there's like a huge influx of information to absorb. And then that starts to decline with time. Right. That makes sense. Now, tied to this is what psychologists talk about, the concept of habituations, which is the longer that you do something or the longer you spend time with someone, the more you get used to it and the less rewarding that time with the person becomes. Okay. That's habituation. So now intimacy and sex then play into the early stages of love and then marriage, because this is where we're going with this for this section here. And I uh, just want to say that, by the way, when we're talking about intimacy and sex, for those that are new to our podcast, we speak out of a Christian worldview and we practice and we hold the value that extramarital sex is not only biblically wrong, it's unhelpful. Mm -hmm. And on the unhelpful point, we've noted before that the best sex is happening inside of marriage. And you can hear more about that in our episode 128. You can get that at oif.link slash 128, or you can look that up in your podcast player. Just look for episode 128. But the point is, the point from there is that you know, God doesn't invent these rules so that we don't have fun. Right. He actually invents the rules so that we can have more fun. It works better in the context of marriage than outside of. Right. And so as we come to the subject, we don't have, we don't just, we have moral reasons for asserting the value, but research-based evidence supports the benefits of keeping sex within marriage as well. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about this. Now, kind of back to our point here, let's talk about how intimacy works. And just a reminder that when we're talking about intimacy for our audience, we mean the whole enchilada, not just sex. Right. Yeah. And this is really quite interesting. According to a study from 99, passion is a function of changes in intimacy. Okay. Now we just let that distill for a minute. Passion is a function of changes in intimacy. So when intimacy is stable, this is your deepening knowledge of another person. When it's stable, either low or high, it doesn't really matter what the level is. Passion is low. Oh. But when intimacy is increasing, passion is high. Okay. And intimacy is often increasing fastest at the start of the relationship as you, as you become more comfortable disclosing information about yourself, right? right? So yeah. you're, you're starting to feel safer, right? Right. Because you're trusting each other more. So you're starting to give more information, right? Mm-hmm. And here's a quote from a researcher. As relationship partners gain an understanding of each other's innermost thoughts and feelings, the rate of intimacy growth may taper off over time as they have less to learn about each other and the rate of engagement in novel relationship activities diminishes. Okay. Do you want so, to summarize that real quick? So that's just saying that, that over time is... Like you have less to learn about each other right. because you already know so much more so that the rate that changes you're the changing The change of intimacy decreases. decreases. Okay. Because your intimacy level changes as you get to know more about each other, right? Right. So you're more intimate 
but the rate at which the intimacy is changing right. is lowering. Right. It's more about the change than the intimacy. Okay. Interesting. Passion is a function of change, changes in intimacy. Yeah. Not a function of intimacy. Okay. Which is really fascinating. And so the intimacy growth during dating makes the start of a relationship a lot of fun. And then going with our biblical values, sex comes into the equation once you get married too. Now, the frequency of sex, although not necessarily the quality of sex, is highest at the start of the relationship. Okay. The marriage relationship. Yeah. In later years, it becomes less frequent. This is normal or typical, I would say. And as the research uh, points out, this is often due to less interest, to higher rates of dysfunction and difficulty, and to major life events like having children. Yeah, I'd say the latter. Right. And this this sounds like a gloomy picture, but we're trying to be real about what's going on here. Right? So just, yeah. just stay with me and let me say too that having less sex is not necessarily a bad thing if you're both satisfied with the quality and the quantity. Okay. So we're going to talk about how how to get the excitement back into your marriage. But first, let's just look at some gender differences, just so we're managing expectations as we go through this. Now, in terms of gender differences in romance and dating men, they tend to fall in love more easily. They report higher scores on measures of romantic love than women in the early stages, like the first few months of relationships. Really? Later on, the score is balanced out. Men are also more likely to say, I love you first in a relationship. And men have traditionally have more traditionally romantic beliefs. For example, that you fall in love at first sight and then and that love overcomes all boundaries like race, social class and so on. Yeah. Huh. And that kind of surprised me because and part of the stereotype here, I thought women would be more prone to this from reading romance novels. So how many romance novels have you read? None. That's my point. Maybe this isn't in romance novels. Well, I would thought you were saying that like you got this from reading romance novels. No. No, I don't know. You think that all women sit around reading romance novels? No, 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 no. (laughs) I just think that women consume more romance novels than men. Is that fair? I have no idea. That's probably accurate. I don't know. I think you should have left the romance novels out. Are you taking issue with the romance novels? Let me ask you this for Linda. Do you read more romance novels than I do? Well, I read more novels than you do. Okay. Let's park this discussion (laughs) because it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Thank you for being defensive on behalf of the entire female human race. Okay. So Someone's got to stick up for us females. That's good. I just, what I'm saying is I don't know where guys get this from. What? You don't know where guys get it from? Like to be more romantic? Well, that you fall in love at first sight, that love overcomes all boundaries, like where they're learning this. So do you didn't fall in love at first sight? Oh my goodness, Verlinda. I don't even remember when I first saw you. We were kids. That's true. Yeah. Whew. Got out of that one. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> is it me or did it just get really hot in this room? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, keep going. So men, we're, we're going through gender differences, stereotypes. Right. Apparently there is a difference. And apparently there are stereotypes. <laughs> men place a higher emphasis on sex in the early stages of relationships, but this was at least partly because they were less aware of the emotional aspects of their relationship. Oh, very interesting. Oh, like you have feelings. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say, and here's my values coming through this again, that this is another feather in the cap of waiting for sex until you're married because it compels men to become more emotionally engaged to fill or try to meet their spouse's intimacy needs, right? Okay. Rather than just By just forcing the delay, the it forces you mm-hmm. to face the emotional component as a man. Oh, interesting. Both men and women experience similarly high levels of passion at the start of the relationship, but this decline is particularly strong for women as the relationship goes on. That's hmm. a study from 92. Perceptions come into this too. Perceptions of what love is were similar between men and women. Both placed more importance on the value of companionate love, but men placed higher value on passionate love. So we have all these dynamics going on. We have these gender differences. 
I don't know how many were socialized for versus being biologically programmed for, but there you have it. Okay. Okay. And this is now kind of come into this whole learn to date your spouse thing because men are going to come at this as a result a little bit differently than how women are going to come at this. And it could be a function of the timing of the relationship. That's why we're just kind of putting this in here. So think about where you are in your relationship and how your gender may play, be playing, playing a role. Okay. Okay. So, and that, that relates back to culture and like forces outside of ourselves, right? Yeah. So this is not necessarily, if you're seeing things that are different between you, it's not necessarily a problem in your relationship. It's just an indication of cultural norms and stereotypes and so on that are happening. Dynamics. Right. That so you exist. just need to be aware of those. Right. And not necessarily pathologize your relationship as a result. What does that mean? Believe that you have something wrong. No, but you just need to figure it out and work with it. And Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So... In the second half of our episode today, we want to talk about how to get the excitement back. But if you really want to go deep on reigniting the passion in your marriage, we've got a superb guide that really gives you the how-to of how this whole intimacy, passion, and sex thing works together. Do you know what, Caleb? I read through this and it's like really neat to see how all these things work together. And like just by tweaking... this guide. Yeah. Just by tweaking something or trying a new thing, you can actually increase the passion in your marriage. It's kind of neat. Good. Yeah. So I loved reading it. So... Normally you would get this by becoming a patron of the marriage podcast for smart people, but I think we should post this one as a public one. So if you want to try some of our content that we have available to our patrons, this one will be available freely to all Yeah. on our Patreon page at oif.support. And we'll just take a quick 60 second break to tell you more about our patronage and how that works. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we said we'd tell you more about how to get the excitement back. Mm-hmm. So what kind of excitement are you talking about here, honey? Uh, the kind of dating excitement where you're getting to know each other. <gasps> the like the little in... butterflies in your tummy? Yeah. Did you ever have those? Yeah. Really? I probably had like two of them where you might have had a colony of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... Many of the things that make the start of a relationship so passionate and enjoyable can naturally decline as the relationship progresses, but they don't have to. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk about several areas that you can work on in order to keep your marriage spicy or else bring back some heat. And again, we go deep on this in our bonus guide for you today. So you're not necessarily talking about like heat and passion and sex. You're talking about like just heating things up in general in your marriage. Or are you talking about sex? Well, I'm talking about deepening intimacy. And remember, it's the change of intimacy that reignites passion, which is more of the characteristic of the dating stage. Oh, my. Okay. So first item, Mm -hmm. new experiences, Mm -hmm. such as joint leisure activities, jointly supporting a cause, 
travel, those kinds of things. Gaining new, you see, gaining new experiences as a couple, it allows spouses to learn more about each other. That's very Because they get to see them act and react in those situations. That yeah. increases intimacy. It increases self-expansion, like the expansion of your world of experiences. Yeah. Both of which increase passion. Oh. And it, I'm referring to a study here from 2007 that supports this. Yeah. Doing novel and exciting things together also activates the same reward pleasure systems in the brain as romantic love. So it can boost romantic love by associating these feelings with your spouse. Huh. And it also counteracts the effects of habituation that we talked about earlier or boredom, where you just get used to the same thing yeah, all the time. So shake it up a little. Try doing something that you haven't done before together. Mm-hmm. It doesn't especially matter what it is, but aim for something that has elements of excitement or novelty. Okay. And researchers have studied this. Aaron et al. in 2000 surveyed couples for relationship satisfaction before and after completing an assault course, like a, which is like a huge obstacle course, Yeah. while tied together at the ankle. I'm thinking <laughs> I would just get a sore ankle out of that. This would just be dangerous. But taking part in this exciting and novel activity, it increased reported relationship satisfaction compared to doing a more mundane physical activity. Wow. So I'm assuming that they had like one group of couples go for like a walk in the park, which they do all the time. Tied at the ankle? Yeah, no. <laughs> the other group of couples, they tied them together at the ankle. They ran them through the assault course. The both sets of couples, they did a relationship survey before and after. Okay, okay. And there was more of a delta for the adventure assault course people. So new experiences can oh, help. Okay. Sex. Increasing the frequency of sex increases intimacy and passion. Oh. It also activates the same brain areas as romantic love. Okay. Now, I'm going to be perfectly candid here, but for all the other people that are in the marriage space, not all of them, but many of them do sex challenges. And I was always like, that's great, but you know. Yeah. Well, I, here's some science that says, hey. Oh. So I'm wondering if we should set up a sex challenge for our listeners, Verlinda. Yeah. After we try it first, of course. Of course. So uh, if you think that that might be worth trying, let us know. Intimacy. But Moving on. <laughs> You don't have to get all awkward just because we're talking about sex. But awkward, <laughs> awkward silence. <laughs> Intimacy. So, so yeah, now this is where we're kind of putting these things together, but separate, right? So sex, sexual intimacy, now intimacy generally. Okay. If passion is caused by changes in intimacy, then increasing intimacy will increase passion. Right. Okay. Uh, Ruben and Campbell, two researchers, studied, uh, tested this on a day-to-day -day level by asking 67 couples to keep daily diaries and reports on intimacy. Daily changes in intimacy predicted relationship passion, sexual frequency, and sexual satisfaction for both men and women. Wow. And intimacy is just like how well you know your spouse. Is that right? Yeah. It's the, the like, depth of your connection. The depth. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those levels. Okay. Intimacy can be increased through self-disclosure and shared experiences. Okay. So it kind of ties back to the new experiences thing as well before. Yeah. It's just getting to see your spouse doing something differently and you're doing it together, right? So there's new information that's coming out from a different kind of experience. Right. Do you know what's really interesting? This is kind of a sidebar, but like we did some things on our trip which were really, really cool. But obviously when you have kids, it can't just be the two of you. Yeah. And so you know, one of us would be with some of the kids, one would be with the others. And there was times when it's just like, I would love to do this together. Right. Like some, that ob aerial obstacle course thing right. you were doing or whatever. And I wonder if this is why, like, because it does, it increased intimacy, just it does, yeah. a little risk doing it together. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But it's also to do with how the partner, the spouse responds when you self-disclose too. Like when you see them going through something, like I'm terrified doing this and obstacle course. And how they course, respond right? to that. Yep. Responding ah. with, so... 
as, as you're doing these shared things together, you need to respond with empathy, validate the experience of your spouse. This increases the intimacy. It makes your spouse more likely to want to self-disclose in the future as well. Okay. But, you know. So oh, like if you, if all you said you were terrified and I just laughed at you and mocked you. That yeah. obviously isn't going to be scared. In- you're tied to the wire anyways. You're not going to fall. That's not going to increase intimacy. Right. Huh. But let's, you know, pricey obstacle courses aside too. Yeah. Even just sharing something with your spouse. Maybe there's something from your childhood or your youth that you've never shared before. It doesn't even need to be germane to your relationship. It's just an experience that you went through that something that was difficult, different, unusual, whatever, right? Yeah. Something personal. Or, or even something every day. Like this is like something right I did every day. Yeah. Sorry. I thought you meant every day is in the present because that you can do that too, right? Where like, you share every day. Yeah. Like something you've been worried about that's going on right now that you really haven't brought your spouse in on. Oh, okay. Like some okay. private concern, right? Yeah. So these kinds of sharing of intimacy, this can increase the passion in your relationship. It will because that's a change. Right. Oh, huh, that's cool. Self-esteem has an impact as well. So higher rates of self-confidence and self-esteem are moderately linked to higher rates of romantic love in long-term relationships as they allow... Uh, quote here, an intense, exclusive focus on a partner, but not possessiveness or jealousy. Okay. So this is kind of creating more independence, more self-identity of your person. This is differentiation. It is differentiation, which you're giving, you're now able to give more of yourself to your spouse because you know who you are. Okay. Okay. And you're not like trying to claw at them because you're possessive or jealous. You can let them be who they are. Yes. And learn more about that. Right. Which increases your intimacy, which increases your passion. Yes. And so self-intimacy huh. is moder- moderately linked to all of this. Self-intimacy? It's self-esteem. Self-esteem, yeah. Okay. And this is also supported by the fact that romantic love in older couples does not have the obsessive or insecure components that can characterize love in younger couples. Okay. I think we might have mentioned that last week. Yeah. And so maybe choosing some self-esteem building activities or even lifestyle changes... If there's ways that you live out your life and you do things that you don't feel proud of, Mm. like the way you, maybe the way you eat or your exercise or, you know, there's so many different areas, right? It could be, they could be more physical. They could be more just bad habits. Like I smoke and I don't, I'm not proud of that or. Or I make popcorn for the family to watch a movie and I sit down and eat the whole bowl. (laughs) Or maybe I yell at my wife and kids like, and I need to stop and learn about what's going on there for me and those kinds of things, right? So those are all lifestyle changes that can lead back to constructing, to building up self-esteem. Okay. Which can lead to an increase in passion. Now, the last one is interesting. Can you go into that? Like, why is that? Why is what? How does self-esteem increase passion? Is it because I'm more confident in myself? Well, it was that chain of things that you explained earlier. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that already. Do you want to re-summarize it, though? Because obviously, if you were thinking about it, it might be useful to our listeners. Or do you want to just tell them to hit rewind and try that though? Yeah, because I think I need to because it was really good at the time and now I can't remember it. Well, self-esteem. Yeah. Self-esteem. Um, let me just recollect my thoughts here. When you're more secure in your own identity, yeah. you don't need to be a sort of possessive or needy toward your spouse or needing them to meet your needs. You're more integrated with your own person. Right. And you can allow them to be their own person. Right. And so you're learning more about them right. as they... Bloom is their own person. Yeah. Can I just stop there for a second? It kind of creates more movement inside your relationship. It creates more space, Mm, which is going to create change. Right. Which increases the passion. Changes in intimacy, increase passion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Last one is approach versus avoidance. Now, this is really interesting. So there's two motivation systems for behavior in relationships to 
There's two kind of ways that we come at everybody. Basically, you can almost put them exclusively in one of these two buckets. Either approach, so you're coming towards a person with a desire for positive incomes like fun, intimacy, and growth, or it's avoidance, where you're coming towards a person with the desire to avoid negative outcomes like conflict. Okay. Now, think about this in terms of your posture in your marriage relationship. Maybe you've defaulted to avoiding for a while, and it's time to switch to approach tactics. Adopting positive or approach-based goals within the relationship which is, again, taking actions to improve the quality of the relationship by increasing fun, increasing intimacy, increasing personal growth. That increases passion and sexual desire on a day-to-day basis, and it buffers against reductions in sexual desire long-term. Again, quoting from research from 2008 here. Okay. And I see this in the couples that I work with, Verlaine, when I'm doing counseling. Like, we do a lot to de-escalate the conflict, and they're all very successful at that. Yeah. And then... You know, I really believe in letting couples find their way into this, but sometimes I feel like giving them that kick out of the nest kind of move where it's like, like you guys have this, you deescalated, but you need to like start having fun again, like start flapping those wings. You know oh, what and I mean? go it's like, turn more to the approach. Yes. So you've, we've, we've taken the avoidant thing out where I'm walking on eggshells around you or you're, you know, always at me to try to get me to be what you need to be. Like all that's gone and it's quiet now. Right. So we've called the truce. And, and, and a truce or you've actually figured out the, no, 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 you figured it. it. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. We've gone through the peace and reconciliation process. Oh, that's lovely. Let's call it that. Okay. And it's calm. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing after like several years of fighting that they've been through. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of go back, they lean back and they take a deep breath, which is great. Yes. But that creates a bit of a cavity. Right. They need that change in intimacy again. They need the positive part. Okay. The approach part, right? Okay. Yes, which is going to be the change in intimacy thing. Huh. Now, what the research noted, researchers noted is that this effect was especially strong for women, suggesting that actively pursuing a better relationship is more directly linked to passion and sexual quality for women. Mm-hmm. So think about how you can add more of these approach tactics back into your marriage as well. Because if your marriage has been distressed, it could be that you have a learned pattern of behavior, which is almost exclusively focused on avoidance. Like, let's not fight in front of the kids has been your mantra. Okay. And, and you stop fighting in front of kids and now you don't have a mantra. Oh. So even though you've repaired all of that, you're still kind of working from this coping stance because the only way that you kind of knew to relate to each other was to try to avoid. Yes. Now it's time to challenge yourself to be courageous, to take the risk of using approach, like to having fun with you, to dating you, to courting you. Ah. Yeah. Exploring new things together, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So switching from avoidance to approach tactics. Also, uh, the research demonstrates that helps rekindle the dating aspect of our marriages. Cool. All right. Don't forget to get the additional guide for our episode today, which we are going to make freely available to all of our listeners at OIF.support. You can learn there more about our patronage and how to support us and to help us if you would like to do that. It's not mandatory for the guide for this episode, but that does help us to be able to better support and help your marriage too. Yeah. So you can become a patron by heading over to OIF.support and making a monthly pledge there. Whatever you can afford is so much appreciated. And on that note for Linda, we have had a couple people who have become patrons between this recording and our previous one. Yeah. Matt and Christy. Thank you for that. And, and thank you for all our patrons. Yes. It, I don't know. It's kind of neat that they, that they do this. Yeah. You know, they give up a couple of coffees a week and yeah. put this into their marriage instead. So we also want to shout out a huge thank you for iTunes reviews again. 
Jeremiah Carla says, this is the one you've been looking for, five stars. If you're wanting to bring your marriage in for a slight tune-up or would like to fix something a little more major but don't want or can't afford to go to a counselor, then give this podcast a listen and you will be glad you did. Definitely worth the five stars. So thank you, Jeremiah Carla. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So next week, Ferland, we're going to be talking about sex addiction. Okay. And um, as you know, I've been taking some training on this and I'd like to share that as undoubtedly there's a portion of our audience experiencing this huge challenge in their marriage. Yeah. And uh, even if you aren't, you'll find it interesting and likely have someone even though in your circle of acquaintances who is struggling with it, maybe unbeknownst to you. Right. That's true. Well, that is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 146. 146. And find out how you can help us help more marriages. Go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.